This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. We- and then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tunes Shuffle. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Boston, and then when I was 12, we moved to New York, uh, upstate New York. And then from the time I was 18 until now, uh, I've sort of bounced back and forth between New York and, and Los Angeles. And do you have um, a... Upstate and, New York? Yeah. What, what part upstate? Rhinebeck. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, up on the Hudson <laughs> River. I lived in Poughkeepsie yeah. for three years. Yeah. Is yeah, that right? I worked in Rhinebeck at the Devereaux Foundation. Amazing. So two, two places you've lived. I've worked in the area and profession of uh, special education and working That's with incredible. folks with uh, yeah developmental disabilities. Great. I, up, when I think of upstate, it's got to be like Syracuse, Ithaca, Rochester. That's I'm from sure. Ithaca, born, born and raised. Yeah, yeah but, but I guess sure. Rhinebeck is, is, is definitely a beautiful I mean, look, country. It's, if you live in, you know, the Lower East Side, upstate is above 42nd Street. So, you know, <laughs> I, feel like yeah. I feel like it's a, a matter of perspective. But, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, Rybeck is barely upstate to the rest of New York. The um, great comedian Barry Crimmins once said, uh, I'm from the Midwest, upstate New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. And so music and entertainment and creativity was a part of your life and your family's life? Yeah, my, um, my, uh, I was the only performing artist in my family, but, uh, both my father and my sister are visual artists. Um, and my dad is, a, was obsessed with music. And so I, there was always music playing in the house. And, and so I, you know, he was the one responsible for getting the drum kit in the house. And my, he, my sister ended up with a saxophone that I ended up playing <laughs> sort of like, it just, you know, I, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I was, I was excited about, um, playing the sax and just figuring out how to play summertime. And then I think, I don't know. And then, then the drums took over, but, um, they're a lot cooler. Yeah. I've been playing yeah. there, you know, but, but more, more effort to set up. That's and true. It, it, yeah. Right off. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've been playing music pretty much my whole life and it wasn't, it, music was what brought me to filmmaking maybe 10 years ago. Um, I started directing music videos and, uh, you know, and it was at like a, a, on a LARP kind of, I, I had been doing, I'd been playing music exclusively and then I had an idea for a music video and I knew a bunch of dancers and I sort of had like crossover with the dance world. And, and so, um, yeah, I got this idea for a music video, um, that is actually one of one of my five songs, um, and it's why oh. it's one of my five songs. Yeah. Um, well, when when we come to it, let's let's revisit that. I and, will, uh, will. What was your favorite yeah. MTV music video growing up, or one that just comes to mind as like inspirational and influential? <laughs> I wow, there's so many, but I will say when you when you say this, when you ask that question, the very first image I have in my mind. Is it uh, the Twisted Sister? We're not going to take it. Music video. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I feel like it was one of the first music videos I ever saw. And it was there's there's this one image where 
is it D Gordon? Is that his name? D no, that D Gordon's a baseball player. Uh, D. Yeah, D I, I know. He, he, D I Schneider. D Schneider. Yeah. yeah. And he used yeah. to, you know, he like dressed like a caveman and all this stuff. But there was um, there's a, a clip in the middle of a music video where like you see one of those old TNT boxes with the big hand lever that you push down. <laughs> yeah. And I remember like. I don't even remember the setup was all I, I just remember the image of a butterfly landing on the handle and that being like enough weight to like push down the hand lever, which then causes yeah. a massive yeah, explosion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and oh I think God. that's my first, I think that's my first music video memory. Wow. I grew like, I grew up in it. I grew up when MTV started and I feel like rock with you by Michael Jackson was maybe the kind of one of the first music videos they ever played. But I feel like Twisted Sister was in that first year, which I think is 1984, maybe? 82, 84? Twisted Sister might be later than that, because I think I was in college when that came out, 86, 87. Oh, What's yes, yours, Maggie? What comes to mind video-wise for you? Um, Chris Isaac, Wicked Games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, um, <clears throat> we, we were a VH1 household. But I remember that video, like, why is it in black and white? And then just being, like, mesmerized by what these two people were doing on the beach, thinking, like, wow, is that what love looks like? So, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love looks like a Herbert yeah. photo shoot. <laughs> yeah. that, that, and also, there was, like, the, the, I feel like there was a bunch of those. Like, the Janet Jackson had that black and white yeah. um, love will never do. Yep. Uh, and, um it's funny the wicked game then makes me think of the D'Angelo video, of course, like the, the famous untitled, you know, where the camera's just circling around him <laughs> and his naked torso as he, it's just like a one take of him singing this song. Right. Every woman in my life for like three years had that on VHS and would just like repeat, watch it in the morning. Yeah. Danielle <laughs> like, Steele was sad for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, David? Mine was talking, yeah. talking heads. I'm glad you asked Maggie. Talking yeah. Heads, Once in a Lifetime, which inspired me to do a lip sync contest at, uh, <laughs> at, at uh, The Haunt in Ithaca, New York at 114 West Green Street. The Haunt was a live music venue, roots, rock, reggae. And um, I got second place doing David Byrne's, you know, interpretation of Once in a Lifetime. Um, big white suit, horn rim glasses. Uh, I took second behind Madonna. I don't remember which the Madonna song was, but Madonna won that particular lip sync. Yeah. And I was I was taking a bartending class at the time, and I mentioned it to the owners, and they were like, "Hey, we need a bartender." And for the next three years of college, I I have what I consider to be my first show business success because as a bartender, you're on and performing and mixing, and uh, apart from you get all you know the sex you want as a bartender, that did not happen for me. Um, but everything else, like learn how to DJ and bartend. Yeah. Once in a lifetime. When you when you say you were just behind Madonna in the competition, are you saying that actual Madonna was in this competition with you and won? It's so weird, Miles. Yeah, because Madonna, <laughs> the star, nobody realizes she loves doing lip syncs to her own songs, and right. she wins every like she in Des Moines. She won. She won at USL. No, no, the, the woman doing the Madonna. <laughs> 
Well, I'm excited really for you, David, know. to hear his fave five song, Miles' fave five songs, because there's quite a Y-Tunes connection there. But that's not where we're going to start. So if you don't mind, we're just going to jump right into your fave five songs. Miles, here is right. song number one. Yes, you know Jesus standing at the home plate. <laughs> All right, that's where called The Ball Game by Sister Winona Carr. Yeah, where does it take you? Why this song? Okay, uh, so uh, back in 2016, um, my dad died. And this is after, this is after, a, like, a, it was, a, like, it was very sudden and then a very long two months of taking care of him. And I, you know, there was a couple of us taking care of him, but I kind of ended up being his primary physical caretaker. So I was with him for the last two months of his life. And he, um, you know, he, and, and if either of you or anyone listening has ever taken care of somebody who is dying of cancer, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a 24 hour a day kind of a thing. And, and um, it is, very intense emotionally and physically exhausting and my dad and I had a definitely had bumps in the road in our relationship but we we had a great relationship and he um he is a visual artist as I mentioned and he's a cartoonist for the New Yorker and like had you know he lived his brain on the outside is that like when his house was filled with art um, that he had created for 40 years, basically, like this, this trove of sketchbooks and cartoons and like filing cabinets of just thousands and thousands and thousands of cartoons that he were finished, but also in the works. And then on top of that, he was a painter. And so, you know, like, like giant storage facility worth of paintings that he had created over the years. And there were lots of subjects that he had covered in his life, uh, as far as paintings go or cartoons, but baseball was a huge subject for him. He did tons of paintings that were related to baseball, tons of cartoons that were related to baseball. Um, he was a huge baseball fan. We, he grew up in, in New York and, um, and uh, uh, was a Yankees fan, I think, as a kid. Mickey Mantle was his favorite. And then he, you know, when we moved to Boston, he didn't raise us as Yankees fans. He raised us as Red Sox fans because that's what? the town that we lived in. Wow. Yeah. You know, which for any Yankee fan listening or any Boston fan listening, they're like, what are you crazy? It. Like, you don't, yeah. you don't mix those two. Um, <laughs> no. But he, what was important for him was that his kids experienced baseball in a, in a tangible way, in a, in a way that was close to home. And so we grew up as Red Sox fans. Um, you know, when we moved back to New York, I kind of left baseball and discovered music and girls and that's where my interests were. And like, I just wasn't, baseball wasn't really, but he and I always played catch with one another, even all the way through my high school years. And then anyway, eventually I ended up in Los Angeles. I ended up kind of finding myself at Dodgers games and then slowly developing a love for the Dodgers. And then my dad, who was still in New York, like became a Dodger fan 
because that's where his kids were. Like my sister and I both live in LA and then he was like, Oh, well I love to like, he then was following the Dodgers and like would call me about Dodger games that were on, even though he's in New York, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's him, amazing. It was about, yeah, it was about engagement and it was about um, loving the game sort of where you were. Anyway, I, I say all of this to say that after the marathon that is taking care of somebody through their death, he died. And then two days later, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was like, well, I'm going to like put on some music and I'm going to um, walk around New York City and like mourn. <laughs> it, was like, it was like the pragmatic approach to mourning, right? It was like, I was like, this is, I've, I've got a day. I, you know, like I had a job that was pending in, in Mexico that like I, I this commercial job that I was going to do that I, you know, while I was taking care of my dad, they were, I was like fielding this job offer and I was like, I, I can't focus on this. I have to take care of my dad. But then when he died, I was like, I guess I'm going to go take this job because I also haven't worked in months. But I had this one day in New York where I was like, I'm going to go more. <laughs> and I listened to music and I walked all over the city and felt nothing. I was numb. And for the next couple of months, I just was, it was like this total numb feeling. I, like, I, I wasn't crying. I wasn't, like, I didn't, it, it was like my emotions were blocked in a way that I couldn't figure out. And we started planning his memorial. And this is now two months have gone by. And um, that song came on. And I don't even remember why. I was, like, doing some, like, random Google search of something to do with baseball and whatever. And I had heard that song as part of Ken Burns' documentary about uh, baseball many, many years ago. Oh, and I think my dad, right. had, my dad had played that song at various points. He loved blues. He loved gospel. He loved his music taste was very eclectic, but definitely heavily rooted in the blues and, and, um, and jazz. And, uh, and that song came on and I lost it. I mean, it was like the, it was like the floodgates opened and, in like huge heaving sobs. It was the first time in months that I actually was able to like connect with the emotion of losing my father and this friend and this huge, you know, person in my life. Um, and so at his memorial, which was shortly after we ended up, there was like a band at his memorial, like me and a couple other people played and like, we sort of led this huge congregation of people in song to this, uh, to this song um, at the memorial. And then we left the building, walked through Central Park, and then played the baseball game <laughs> Wow! in his honor. Wow. Well, that's uh, a great story. What is it about so, cancer yeah. and baseball? Because when I was a very young girl, <laughs> I, this is true, when I was a very young girl, my mother's father passed away from... I can't remember what kind of cancer, but she was in a very similar situation. Um, and my mm. sister and I and my mom spent a lot of time with my grandfather and his thing was the Yankees. And so we spent a lot of time on bed with grandpa watching Yankees games. Yeah. And so um, not a baseball fan. It was really important to my mom to continue watching that after he passed away as kind of like, a, yeah, grandpa's here, <laughs> you know? Um, right. So I don't know what it is about cancer and baseball that's like so cohesive i guess is the word it's just like they i don't i don't want to say they go together because they don't but it's like yeah. when you said that i was like oh my god that's just like that's just like grandpa chet so yeah i don't know you know i it, i yeah i don't know 
and whether it's whether it's cancer or just you know just generate i mean i feel like it's certainly a sport that's kind of passed down generationally mm-hmm. it's um, a logical th- it's a logical thing it's a logical connect i think and i think it could be said for you know because i wonder um my dad was not a baseball fan no you know, and, and, and no, my dad was a state champion high school football coach and a and a and a you know an athletic director and you know encouraged my 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 siblings and I to play and participate in sports, but he was also a hippie, <laughs> so he had this sort of non-competitive, non-professional, do it for the love of the game kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, I think that when you know. I think that we'll all find our, our connection and that, that we are all ultimately connected. And did you say Grandpa Chet? Yeah. Chet. Like, yeah, he Chester? was a, um, no, I think it was just Chet. C-H-E-T. Yeah, him you and- You know what my grandpa's name is? No. Chet. No way. Swear to God. <laughs> you that's see, this crazy. is why Y-Tunes shuffle and the, oh my the God, music, that's crazy. Which, is, which is really how we're all connected. I think yeah. everything is connected, <laughs> This continues to just roll around in so many connected circles. What's your dad's name? Mine? Yeah. Chet. Uh, Michael Crawford. <laughs> yeah, Chet. Michael, Michael Crawford. Michael. Michael Crawford. <laughs> and was his cartooning part of the way he made a living? Oh, yeah. It was the way he made a living. Was there like a strip or something like that that he had? A, a, a cartoon strip? or No. Was it so like... uh, in the New Yorker, the, the, the cartoon. The New Yorker? Like... Yeah. Right? Holy shit! Yeah. That's, that's, that's the best cartooning magazine ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your dad submitted and got his cartoons. Is his? Yeah, that was his gig. Deal? That was his job for for the better part of twenty, thirty years. I mean, he when I was in elementary school, I think around the time that I was born, he had like started submitting here and there. And mm-hmm. he his first cartoons, I think, were in the Harvard Business Harvard Business Review. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, then, but then he started getting his, his cartoons in the New Yorker and, and then that was his main, his main income for pretty much his whole life. Was there ever a cartoon about you or like the family that you can think of where like you saw it and you were like, there were many, I mean, there were many cartoons that incorporated names of people in our neighborhood or people in the family or um i don't i don't remember a cartoon that was specifically about me sure. i mean there were definitely cartoons that i think were about parenting or about you know um music or the entertainment or what but but no, I don't. I don't think I have any memory of a car. I don't think I've ever seen a cartoon and been like, "Oh, that's me," you know. Um, uh, yeah, but there are paintings certainly of lots of members of our family, including myself, yeah. um, oh. and sketches and stuff like that. Yeah. Great first song, yeah, man. That was really, really great. Yeah, great thank you. Thank well, you so much that. for sharing that. For, yeah, no, and I was going to say for anyone who's unfamiliar with the song that you know, the refrain of the song is "Life is a ball game." being played each day and so of course also like to sort of to kind of have that as a at the end of somebody's life it, it felt very fitting um and my dad went to catholic school as a as a kid the song is a religious song and mm-hmm. he went to catholic school as a kid and then left catholic school a devout atheist <laughs> so it's like so it worked out you know, it worked out well. yeah i mean i think well i mean 
I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I, maybe he believed in God, but he definitely was done with religion by the time <laughs> by the time he got out of Catholic school and you know his senior year of high school. He was he was done with the nuns. <laughs> done with the nuns. It, it just it just seems to radiate off you that you know life is what life is, and you know, uh, but you seem to be glowing and when you talk about your dad, and that's kind of a oh, special thing you. a son and a father, I think. And music hooks thank it you. all up. Right, yeah, the star of the yeah. show, the music. Wow, any nuggets on this artist, Maggie, or no? Uh, Winona Carr wrote most of her songs by herself. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, That's, it was yeah. it was a lot of like gospel stuff that was kind of hard to decipher, but I thought that was fascinating that a female artist because yeah. this song came out in 1952. Um, and she was like, I don't like the way my gospel career is going, I want to do rock and roll pop, you know, more of that genre. So the record label finally was like, sure, go ahead. And again, she was like, I, she wrote everything herself, <laughs> which I think is wow, amazing. I yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's incredible. That's super cool. Yeah. All of the Y tunes cool. nuggets and the entire songs are going to be posted in a blog, which you can find in the link to this episode as well. So with that being said, here we go. Here's your song. Number two. My DNA is running out. I am not the guy who makes you smile now. Someone's got a big smile on their face. <laughs> well, that's a uh, song called DNA by Darwin Dees. Why are you smiling so big? What does it make you think of? Okay, so Darwin was a friend of um, a friend of a friend. Uh, I was in the show Stomp for many, many years as a as a stomper, percussionist. Uh, yeah, in stomp. New York, um, yeah. you were you were stomp in New York. Yeah, Lower uh, Side. Wow. Yeah, I did stomp in New York for many years, and um, and then also on tour, I toured around the world doing stomp for many years, and uh, and I knew um, a woman named Michelle Dorrance who is a phenomenal MacArthur Genius Award winning tap dancer. She is. Unbelievable. She has her own dance company called Doran's Dance. It's incredible. I recommend anybody who ever has any interest in seeing dance of any kind, but uh, certainly tap dance. She is she is um, advancing the art form of tap dance in a way that it has. I feel like it hasn't been in a long time. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a form that's steeped in tradition, and which is a beautiful thing. And, mm-hmm. and certainly, she honors that in a big way. But I also think that she is she is giving new life. To that dance form. In any event, she and I met in Stomp, and uh, and one of her very good friends from North Carolina, uh, this guy by the name of Darwin Smith, who goes by the name Darwin Dees, is a musician that she introduced me to, and she introduced me to his music, and he recorded this entire album in his uh, tenement apartment in the Lower East Side of New York. Wow. Um, he did the whole thing himself. He wrote this incredible, this whole album is, it's, they're all these like little pop gems. They're, it's such a great album. And it came out 10 years ago. Um, he's actually touring this year, like the 10th anniversary of this album that came out. Um, and this album, he did it all at home. It's almost entirely on the guitar and all the percussion is either hand claps, uh, shakers, tambourine, you know, and like 808 bass drum kicks uh, with like a drum pad. That's it. Um, in 2010, it blew up in the UK and all over Europe and South America. The one place it didn't seem to really hit was here in the US. 
uh, I don't know who he pissed off at Pitchfork, but, but it was it, like he, you know, the other like Gorilla Burfair and Stereo Gum. I'm I'm name dropping a bunch of like indie music blogs that people may or may not be familiar with. I, you know, times past, and I feel like these these outlets had more sway back then maybe than they do now. Yeah. Um, at the time, they were like the new Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine, I think, for sort of the internet generation. There's like a Pitchfork and, uh, Fest, isn't there? A Pitchfork, pitchfork. Yes, yeah. Yes. And so anyway, he, he had marginal success in, in the U.S. Um, at the time. Um, he, but but he, was, he was, like, his music was going crazy in Europe and the UK and South America. And I heard this song and this was the song that inspired me to make a music video. I kind of, I like had an idea and I knew some dancers and I was like, what if we did the thing? And I pitched it to another friend of mine who was a director and he was like, well, it sounds like you know what you want. You should just direct it. And so it was my first experience directing anything for camera, really. I'd done little stuff with a friend, but like anything real with, you know, uh, worked with a great DP and this great choreographer and dancers and and my friend Michelle, who I mentioned earlier, she she was in it as well. And the same month, I also joined Darwin in his band to then go on tour. And so I toured with him that year and then the following year. And I toured all over the UK with him. I toured all over Europe, and then we went to South America. We played Glastonbury in front of like eight thousand people. Wow. Like he's yeah, it was pretty amazing. I kind of, after many, many, many years of playing music in the U.S. in much smaller venues, I kind of got to live out a bunch of rock and roll dreams. It was like, we, you know, we did the full, like, four people in a van around the U.S., but then when we got to the U.K., it was a more supported tour, and they were playing his music nonstop on the radio. So when we played shows, it was like oh, wow. screaming, screaming fans and, and the audience singing back the songs at you as loudly as we're putting it out there. And the other part of it that was so fun was that his tour in between each of the songs we'd be playing, he had like put these little mashup pieces of music uh, that we would then do dance routines to. So it was like, we'd like finish the song and it'd be like, and I put down my sticks and I'd run out from behind the drum kit. And then the four of us would line up across the front of the stage and do like a choreographed dance routine for a minute and a half that would then seamlessly go into the next song that we were then playing live. Wow. And is that so, stuff on YouTube? Can we see that yeah. on YouTube? Is that some- yeah, Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, cool, I'll send cool, you guys some links. Cool. It's, I mean, you know, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's also 10 years ago, so it's like shaky video from somebody right. in the audience. But, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, so you guys yeah, were like the Backstreet also- Boys meets like... I'm trying to think. Like, okay, like go passion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 It wow. was very much in that indie music scene. So, it, like, it's, you know, we, I, you know, we were playing festivals. It was like Missy Elliott, but then also, like, uh, Everything Everything, which is, a, you know, sort of this indie music band, or, or like Metronomy is another one that was sort of like this other indie music band, but then LCD Sound System. And also, yeah. you know, it was like we were, in this it was a uh, just we were very lucky in that we were like big enough to be playing big festivals with big names but mm-hmm. also small enough that we the shows still there was like excitement and intimacy in the shows yeah. that the fans there were like this is my favorite band you know what i mean 
Uh, it was really, yeah, it was really cool. Did you ever get a chance as you were touring to flip on the radio and hear any of the songs that you were playing live? Oh, yeah. I mean, it would happen when you go to the grocery store. Like, you would just, you like, we would, like, go and get some food for whatever, like, and, and you'd walk into a store and you'd hear the song playing. It was like that. It was crazy. Yeah. It was I, totally crazy. Yeah. I love those, like, first time you hear it moments, you know what I mean? Where you're like, oh, my yeah. God, you pull over and got to call someone. and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was crazy. I mean, you know, I mean, we got, like, I, there were so many things that I was like, we got to play Made of Bell Studios. You know, we like on, did Abbey Road. Like, we, there was like, it was a, we got to like do all these things that I was like, I cannot believe we're in the Abbey Road Studios. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and know? you said this was like your first. Like, this is the room that Led Zeppelin recorded it. <laughs> right. No, you said this was like the, the first, this was your directorial debut. So what is something yeah. that you learned from doing that music video that's kind of stuck with you as like, this is how movie making is going to be with Miles. Um, wow, that's a good question. Uh, I would, I mean, certainly I loved, I mean, the working with friends was like, oh, that's great. Like, do, you know, but, and, and I also think because I've been playing drums for so many years and always it inevitably it was somebody else's gig, inevitably it was somebody else's vision. Um, which is cool, but it was, it was the first time that I got to create something where I was like, oh, I have an idea that I want to see all the way through to fruition. And ultimately I kind of get to tweak it until I'm happy with the end product, mm-hmm. which I had never really experienced that before. And that was really exciting. Um, but also I think what it taught me was that especially with filmmaking, you know, the more you can kind of communicate, the more you can do to be clear about what it is that's in your brain Mm -hmm. so that somebody else who's, who's giving their time and energy to collaborate with you to see this idea through, the more that they can understand really what's going on in your brain and the, the better you are communicating that, the more, happy they will be the more happy you will be and and i think that i've continued to learn that lesson as i as i make stuff and work on other people's projects but it's not an easy skill yeah 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 i just made my first it was such a big lesson in that sorry go ahead yeah no that's great i think along the same lines i just made my first short film last year and it's it's almost done we're almost done we're working on the art right now congratulations thank you and um yeah, I think one of the big lessons was that was along the same lines as like, how do you communicate what's going on up here to the people that want to help you finish this? That's a that's a big one. But yeah. then the other one is have two of everything, <laughs> have two of all of it. <laughs> so there was a, a big bar restaurant scene and I broke glasses. And so it was really. <sighs> um <laughs> I, you know, I broke wine glasses and then in the next scene when they're different wine glasses, it's like, oh God, I didn't just get two of everything. <laughs> so, yeah. um, yes. yeah. And back up your work. Always back up your work as I'm learning. So, yes, there we go. for sure. I love that. And I also, you know, I realized in communi- like communicating ahead of time it also, I think I was so excited. I was like, oh, yeah, we're just going to do a thing. And everyone's going to, you know, and I, and, and they're just going to know. My sons who were, 
Yes, or just, they're going to just know like how much of their time I was hoping to use, and you know, all of that. Mm. <laughs> like they're like, I, I had plans this weekend, but uh, <laughs> sure, that's great, awesome. Yeah. All right, Miles, this is your song number three. You may tell yourself this is not my beautiful life. Y2 connection all the way <laughs> starting at the top. Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime, of course. That's the live version from LA 1983. Which you were very specific about, and I'm kind of curious as to why. LA Only because, I mean, well, as I was trying to look for the recording that was brought, that was used in Stop Making Sense. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I think it's that one. Mm-hmm. And, and Stop Making Sense is my first movie memory ever. Like, I have a memory of walking into a theater with my parents in Boston and looking up and seeing David Byrne in that giant suit on the poster. Like, that is my first movie-going experience that I can remember. Wow. And, um, you know, I don't know. I was very young. Because that movie came out, what, like, 81, too? This is 84? No, later. 84? Yeah. So Stop Making Sense came out in 84? No, that movie came well, out in 84. Oh, the, the, okay, okay. Yeah, the, the movie. The okay. song came out in 1980. Wow, I yeah. Because yeah, I, I, I did the lip sync. I, oh, no, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like 80, 84, right. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go. I gotta go toilet myself. Yeah. <laughs> I am old. I am old. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I would watch um, it. In, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, I don't have much more to say. I mean, I love Talking Heads. I love that song. There's a there's a cover by uh, Angelique Joe that came out recently that I is also think is phenomenal. If you guys ever get a chance to check it out, um, but yeah, I love that song. I love that. I just I you know to me, I was trying to think of like with these five songs that like what music is such a huge part of my life. I was like, what are songs that sort of mark big life moments and you know well, as I, a, I, as a, both to, a musician I, and a filmmaker it felt very appropriate that that would be yeah you know. it's iconic it's it. wonderful i don't know who directed it but i i'm wondering what what right. theater you saw it in boston because i was i was going to brookline between ithaca and brookline and i think the coolidge corner uh playhouse yeah, is that's, like right yeah, up in coolidge sure. corner yeah sure yeah yeah why not i feel yeah. I, yes let's just say that i saw it at coolidge corner well, I saw it in Boston too, and I'm trying to remember if I saw it in Cleveland Circle Cinemas or up in Coolidge Corner. So there's a chance you went in, and I was with I Terry. Have a feeling, and went... I think that you were probably there, holding my yeah. hand as we watched it in the theater. Is what I think. Yeah, because I was arrested uh, not long after for holding <laughs> kids' hands, which what? I was completely innocent. I, no, oh, I'm kidding. Oh my gosh. Okay. We've lost Maggie on <laughs> Well, I was trying That's to think of like the. Kerfuffle. That's called a white tune kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. This yeah. song, I. Mm-hmm. The nugget I got on this, <laughs> I like because David Byrne was born in Scotland, obviously, and uh, he lived, he moved to the U.S. at the age of eight, but he only became an American officially because he wanted to start voting. So he'd been voting illegally for years. And finally, someone at a polling place checked his ID and cross-checked it and was like, um, you can't do that. And so he was like, yeah, I guess it's time to get my citizenship. Yeah. (laughs) So 
Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Incredible. Right? I didn't know that. Well, now you I do. Now you do. Now you do. Wow. Let's shuffle. Let's shuffle. All right. All right. Ready for song number four. When I get my hands on you. Wanna make you marry me. I love that. It's a song called When I Get My Hands on You by the New Basement Tapes. Miles, why this song? How did you find it? Um, good question. I don't... I have to, I think I have to thank Spotify for finding that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relatively it new. Be, it is new. And I... I... Whew, I think I... Yeah, I think I just stumbled across it on Spotify. I spend I, I I spend a great deal of time on Spotify every day, um, just making me I make mixes constantly. I kind of have mixes for every season, every year that I make, and wow. I, for all sorts of things that I do. Whether it's yeah, just for like every every reason, every season I have a playlist, and and so. Um, but I I think yeah, just bubbled up during a search somewhere or, or maybe you know they they send it to me in my like discover weekly playlist that they make and um but i loved it immediately and um and we my wife and i uh, were getting married i think maybe three or four months after like from when i heard this song for the first time we were talking about um I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing right now because this is the way that I remember this, and I can imagine her hearing this podcast later, being like, "No, man, I introduced you to that." Song. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, let me just say for the record, it's entirely possible that my wife is the one who introduced me to that song. Yes. Um, but I, I, I don't remember that. But we're, 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 you know what? Let's just say that she did. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that um, one. Uh, <laughs> So we were we were getting married and uh, we were we we're planning to get married uh, in a few months and um, had the idea to have our friend. So my wife is a professional dancer and actor, and she uh, I've sort of been dance world adjacent for many years, but she is very much dance world epicenter for many years, and um, and. Uh, she had a very good friend, Jillian Myers, who's an incredible dancer and choreographer, that uh, she asked if Jillian wouldn't mind choreographing a dance routine for the two of us to do together as our first dance. Oh, um, man. And it was and to this so song? This, it was to the song. And so this song, which I should say, the song is, is uh, written by Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And the new Basement Tapes is, for those that may not know, the new Basement Tapes is basically... It, it was it's a little bit like the Traveling Wilbur. Like it was like an album and a band that kind of was put together to make a bunch of songs specifically for an album. And so there are the basement tapes, which any Dylan fan would be familiar with. Um, but then he also, Bob Dylan also wrote all these other songs then that just like ended up in a drawer, basically. They never got made and never got recorded. And um, Elvis Costello, and I think the the singer from Mumford and Sons, and I can't remember his name. Marcus Mumford. But Marcus, thank you. And and 
some other folks. Is Tom Petty involved in this? No. Taylor Goldsmith, um, who's from the band Dawes, and then Jim James from My Morning Jacket, and yes. Rhiannon Giddens, who is in Carolina Chocolate Drops, which is like a blues-esque bar band. Better than that. Goss- I don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And then, and then Marcus and Elvis Costello, right? Is that right? Yes, 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 yes. So my understanding, and you obviously definitely know more about it than I do, but the, my understanding is that they got together and they and they got a hold of all these songs that had been written but never recorded and basically got Dylan's permission to then make recordings and arrangements of these songs that he had written back in the 60s or 70s. Yeah. Um, and so this is one of those songs. So the song was lyrically was written by Bob Dylan. I'm not sure as far as the melody or the arrangement. Um, but I have a feeling that it, that it was more the new basement tapes that did the melody and the arrangement. Um, and so, you know, my wife is a, is a very resourceful person. She likes, I mean, she has clothes that her mother made back in the seventies. Like she, wow. she is all about just sort of giving new life to things that have are like just kind of sort of continuing the life of objects and things that you know have been around for a long time and i loved that this song was a musical version of that and um and so anyway we sent the song off to uh her friend jillian who is now a good friend of mine as well and and um jillian put along with our other friend damien gomez they, they put together this duet that was beautiful and we learned it from them and then we danced it on our wedding night and um and every single year since we're now we just had our fifth anniversary every year we retrace the steps of this dance and we do this dance every year on our anniversary oh my god and so we have to kind of come together to relearn it yeah <laughs> relearn it because it's choreographed and also you know so every year we sort of have a deep understanding of what the dance is and also every year our physical limitations shift uh there's yeah. a lift and a, a toss in the dance there's a moment where i throw her over my shoulder there's a you know there's i mean she's she's a professional and and very she's a beautiful dancer and very good at what she does and, and so it's inevitably it's me sort of refiguring out do you guys do videotape yourselves every year doing this we do yeah okay good yeah we started to and we and we and we always try to invite friends or family, some witness to be present for this when we do it. And uh, and this year, actually, Jillian happened to be teaching a dance class. She was back from one of her many jobs as a choreographer. She'd just been working on a television show, and she was, she was teaching a dance class at, at a studio in L.A. called Movement Lifestyle. And she uh, graciously invited us to do this dance at the end of the dance class. And so this year, we, we got to perform it, not just for her and Damien, who helped her create it, but also for this group of like 35 dancers, you know, and sort of for the dance community. It was just, it was really, it was really nice to be able to share with them this year. It's, it's apropos that your wife is one that does take stock in the value of items, you know, that they don't just get shelved yeah. or replaced, including your wedding. You know, yeah. the dance of your that's wedding right. used to get repurposed. And so that's so perfect. Yeah. How did you meet your wife? Um, we met, I was, when I was doing stomp, uh, she was very good friends with, a, another stomper. Um, um, I love that stomper. Who, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a woman by the name of uh, Coralisa Delaporte, who's, who's in the show, who's a friend of mine but and a, a co-worker at the time. And they knew each other from the dance world. And Reshma came and, um, and uh, to see uh, my friend and her husband uh, performing the show, and I happened to be in the show, we shook hands that night, and that was it. It was literally like, I was with somebody at the time, she was with somebody at the time. I like heard, you know, people are like, oh my God, have you met, you know, have you met Reshma? Uh, she's, she's like, a, she's a Madonna dancer and she's Coralisa's friend and she's some, you know, whatever. And so uh, I obviously was like, oh, who's, who's this person? Um, and, you know, but I played it very cool and shook her hand and then went the other direction. Um, uh, and eight years later, after occasionally seeing each other, yeah, eight years later, after seeing each other randomly at like a wedding or, you know, a party here and there, um, we ran into each other. And uh, 10 minutes actually after I was newly out of a seven year relationship. Um, and uh, we ran into each other and, and struck up a conversation and then started dating. And then, yeah, we got married like a year and a half after that. Wow. Yeah. Lenny and That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's timing? Not ours. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that you guys are still so romantic about it too. That's very cool. Well, thank you. I yeah. I uh You're talking about I, being miles. I will... Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Even miles. <laughs> All right, you guys. I'm thank sorry you. to say, but here is song number five. My baby don't care for shows. My baby don't care for clothes. My baby just cares for me. Nina Simone. No stranger to Y Tune Shuffle. That song is oh, called <laughs> My Baby Just Cares for Me. And it is your number five on the list, Miles. Why is that? Why did we pick this song? It, this is sort of a spontaneous decision. I. I... I was listening to it the other day and I was like, this might be one of the greatest recordings of all time. Like, I just was feeling like this is one of the greatest recordings of all time. I don't know. I, like, and when I say recordings, I mean, and I was having this conversation with my wife at the, at the time, I was thinking about how like there's albums, there's songs, and then there's a category at the Grammys that I never understood until I think recently-ish, which is recording, right? Mm-hmm. There's like they give a Grammy for recording, mm-hmm. which I now I don't know if this is correct or not, but I sort of take as like a performance. That mm-hmm. w- they're they're sort of saying this was the greatest musical performance that was captured of the year. I think that that's what that means. I don't know. Not let's just but go anyway, with it. it sounds thinking, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> I was just thinking about that as an idea and I'm like, you know, as somebody who spent many hours in recording studios trying to capture something good, you know, and, 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 and often when you go see a band, like you see a band and they're incredible. And then you go, you're like, Oh my God, I can't wait to go like listen to their music and you go listen to the music and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And there is, and there are specific, and I think it's when we grow up with music, recorded music, and you listen to it, and we own it as a piece of ourselves and something that it is our own. Um, I think it can be easy to forget that that is a recording. It's a moment in time. It's not 
that song can exist a zillion different ways, even if it's only ever played by that same musician. Um, and it just got me thinking about sort of the brilliance of a single recording and how capturing lightning in a bottle like that is beautiful and and that there are these recordings out there that are stunning either in their simplicity or their grace or their ability to capture an emotion or a feeling. Um, and this is one of those songs to me. And I, and I started, like I said, I like to make playlists. I started making a playlist of songs that I felt like were that, that were these recordings that were sort of untouchable gems. Um, she slays it in this recording as far as I'm concerned. I think what she's like, just musically what she does, she, as a musician, she's a beast. I just like, I, can't, I just, I think as an artist, I just can't say enough about Nina Simone. I, she's astonishing what she achieves uh, in humor and uh, gravitas and depth and all of it. Like she just does so much with her music. Um, and the fact that she is not only doing all of this in her lyrics, but also her voice and also her arrangements. And then as a piano player, um, she does this whole like Bach, I don't know how to say it, etude, is that what it is? E-T-U-D-E, mm. etude, I think, etude, like in yeah. the middle of the song. It's swinging and she's like going along and she's swinging and blah, blah, blah. And then she goes into this whole like little box thing in the middle of it because she really wanted to be a classical musician, but because she was a black woman, it was unacceptable. Mm -hmm. It would like, she could not break into the classical world in the way that she wanted to because of her ethnicity and, and gender. And it, it just, it, it, and so she found ways to express that piece of herself in her other music and this is a, one of many recordings where she does that, but well, I, it, I just... it's not, I don't think lost on Maggie and I and, and the Y2 shuffle family that, you know, when an individual shares the music that they love, in this case, you, you describe this last song as being one that you could hear in a million different ways, words to that effect, no matter how many times you hear it. But it also is kind of reflective of what we've learned about you and that your life is very expansive. And like one year you're dancing for stomp, another year you're on tour and, and that you're kind of custom made to embrace, you know, the mm. expansiveness of music. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a great list, man. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thank you. Great stories. Very great stories to go with it, too. Thank you. Yeah, that's what this show is all about. Before we let you go, we're going to take a brain break and we're going to let David take over playing a game called Band Name or Bar Name. That's right, Maggie Mayfield. It's time once again for Is It the Name of the Band or Is That the Name of the Bar? Is it band name or bar name? That's the name of this game. And uh, I'll tell you, Miles, you're you're a, a ringer for this because of all of your experience touring and I'm, I'm sure playing. I also was a bartender for a minute. Games. And you were a bartender for a cool minute. So uh, so you should you should be an automatic winner. Um, all right. This game takes, uh, takes us all over the world uh, to different locales where music and local bands tend to interact, which is, I think, pretty much almost everywhere. Uh, and uh, this week on our show, we are in Flagstaff, Arizona. So just take yourselves, you and Maggie, in your mind to Flagstaff, Arizona. We're at the, uh, we're at the Knightsbridge Inn just off of Route 10, uh, taking a little bit of break. And I say, hey, guys, <laughs> guess, guess, guess who's playing tonight at Tiny Bird, that little club up in Flagstaff? Mother Road. 
is playing at Tiny Bird. You want to go to Tiny Bird and, and get, get, you know, get some poultry and fries and listen to Mother Road? Or I could just as easily say, hey, you guys, uh, let's go grab a few beers at Mother Road because Tiny Bird is playing there tonight. Wow. Now, if we were in Flagstaff, Arizona, would we be drinking at Mother Road or would we be listening to Mother Road? And the same goes for Tiny Bird. What which is... is the name of the bar and which is the name of the band? Oh, my gosh. Tiny, Tiny Bird? Mother Road. Which, are, which is which? Wow, you picked a good one. Okay. I'm gonna I spend all week for an hour researching this. Mother Road. I'm gonna say that Tiny Bird is the place that you eat, because Mother mm -hmm. Road is probably. I'm, I hope she's like a big black lady that just can sing. I hope. Wow. Here's my question: good, good Do thing. we get to ask what the salad music is? Ooh, um, you're the first wow, to ever do that. No one has ever yeah. I knew that, that Miles would be a ringer. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, well, whoever the band is, okay, mm -hmm. um, it, uh, it's got a song called Watercolor. Uh, and uh, they've got smashing guitars. And it's, uh, they're very famous for doing most of their recordings in one take. I don't know if that helps in the least. Because mm. I, did skip, I, I did skip over very, very, like it gives away too much. Yeah. Is there, is there a sax player in the band? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I think I know. Tiny that. Bird. Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this. Okay. Yeah, we right, need right. an answer. We need right, an mother, answer. Mother. Go ahead. Sorry. No, Mother Go Road ahead. or Tiny Bird. What do you think? I'm going to go with you, Maggie. I think I think uh, I think Mother Road is the name of the band, and Tiny Bird is where we're going to get where we're going to get some food. Chicken fingers. Okay. <laughs> well, if you're going to Seven South. Mike's Pike in Flagstaff, Arizona, zip code 86001, <laughs> you would be stopping by the Mother Road Brewing oh, Company. Oh, no! Yes, so you'd be able to have some fries and beers. Tiny Bird, they might be named after a small animal, but damn if their sound ain't big, rowdy, and relatively, emphasis on the word, new to the Flagstaff music scene. Tiny Bird showcases hypnotic melodies driven by energy, rawness, and feeling. Their latest effort, Childish EP, sees the band take off with soaring soundscapes and true emotion with its lead single, Watercolor. Paving the way, you can pretty much learn everything you need to know about the band and its music by watching the music video, There's a Cannibal Banana Smashing of Guitars. Mass merriment and so much paint. All in one tank. I don't really know what that means. I don't think any of that would have given paint. it away, to be honest. No, 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 no. <laughs> and it's written right out of the Phoenix New Times. Thank you so wow. much. For wait, wait, game. It was wait. A tough one. Did you say new as in like hasn't been seen before or nude as in no clothing? Oh, new is in haven't been seen before. Okay. Yeah, new, not new. Yeah, that's my sorry. upstate New York accent. <laughs> now, uh, Miles, your job is to take us uh, anywhere in the world uh, to a locale where I can research the names of local <laughs> bands and the names of local bars so our next guest can play the game band name or bar name. Okay. Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough? In the UK. Middlesbrough, United Kingdom. Middlesbrough in the United Kingdom, yeah. I want to make sure I got the last part of middle. What's the last second one? Middlesbrough. So, borough, borough. Okay, got it. Yeah. And I think I think the way they spelled there is borough is B-O-R-O-U-G-H. I, 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 I'll find it. I'll find it. No problem. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank um, you very much for playing. Band name was my name. Thank you. Miles but thinking very I, hard. Who was the person that gave us, who gave us Flagstaff? Uh, that was uh, Jonah uh, Coslin uh, from Michael Stanley Band. From the Michael Stanley Band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking very hard, Miles. We'd love to hear the story of your very first concert experience. Uh, shit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, it was at the Douglas County Fairgrounds with my ska band, Lettuce Boy. Um, and we were playing. <laughs> We were playing on the dirt racetrack, uh, like the grandstand in front of the dirt racetrack of the Douglas County. I, I feel like, Dave, you probably have been to the Dutchess I've been County to the Dutchess County Fair many times. I, you know, <laughs> I want to tell you this. We, we might not have explained this clear enough. You as a musician, it would make sense that you would remember your first yeah. performing concert. Uh, but we're wondering which concert you went to. You attended as as a, oh. as a youngster, youngster, youngster. Oh, 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 oh. Um, I think the first concert I went to was. Huh, uh, I don't. Uh, all right, I, my cousin took me to see uh, Paul McCartney. Oh wow! I must have been eleven, and I was obsessed with the Beatles at that age, and uh, and I remember actually I was so deeply obsessed with the Beatles that like I remember we like went it was at this giant, giant, giant like you know uh, stadium. It was we were in Massachusetts, whatever big stadium in Boston. I can't remember, and I remember even as a young person like we walked in and and everyone's milling around the concert hasn't started yet and there was some drunk guy that was like i got blisters on my fingers ah, and i remember yeah. as an 11 year old as an 11 year old being like paul mccartney wasn't the one that said that ah, very good <laughs> I, was like, I was like that's that's john lennon that's not paul Mar-, you know my, my like beatles nerd came out hard um but yes uh and I didn't know any of the songs, obviously, except for Beatles songs. And Live and Let Die was the only other one I knew. But all of the Wings stuff went way over my head. I bet you didn't what, was your, what was your first concert? My first concert? Um, I went to go see No Effects in San Diego. <laughs> I was like, I know, I think 19 at the time. And I had just broken up with my boyfriend and I bought those tickets to go with him. Uh, but then I was like, no, we're not going together. So I brought my best friend and it was, it was amazing. It was ama- We were under bleachers amazing. at some point, but yeah, yeah, it was big. <laughs> it was really big. Dave, what was yours? Barton Hall, uh, Cornell University campus. It was their big uh, sports uh, center. And uh, I saw Boston and Sammy Hagar, wow. uh, a young Sammy Whoa. Hagar warmed up for Boston. What? Yeah, yeah, he opened yeah. for Boston? Yeah, like just yeah. as Sammy Hagar, like this is pre yeah, Van Halen. Yeah. Wow. Pre Van Halen. Pre, I don't drive. I can't drive fifty-five. It's like oh Sammy God. was just up, up and coming. Yeah. yeah. You didn't even was know. You singing originals or covers. Jesus, I don't remember. I just remember I bought the Boston album and I learned every <laughs> lyric to every song. And like Sammy was just kind of like, you know, let's spark up two or three. I think I was just right. in eighth grade or something like that. Oh my God. That's incredible. What about the last? I was going to say that the, the the first concert I went to for with my own money was They Might Be Giants. Oh wow! Okay. 
nothing remarkable about that show except that I remember that they stopped mid-show and he had everybody snapping in the audience for yeah. like three minutes while they then like did like this cool acapella thing over it. And then that like blew my mind. I was really disappointed with they might be giants. Because <laughs> you saw they them live? They weren't. They weren't giants. <laughs> oh and I was like so stoked. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. What about uh what about the last show that you went to, the last music show that you saw? Oh. <laughs> I think the last person that I saw live was Madonna. Wow! Oh my gosh. Was yeah. it amazing? On the Madame X for the Madame X performance that she just had at the World Turn. Mm-hmm. My um as as I, I may have mentioned in passing, my my wife danced for Madonna for a number of years. And so we you know, through her connections, we got to go see that show. Wow. And uh, I, at one point in my life, was a massive, massive Madonna fan. And um, still am. And yeah. So <laughs> for me, it was the first time I ever saw her live. I was uh, like, oh, that. You know. Yeah. She's on my bucket list of people to see for sure. Yeah. Awesome. It was fun. It was a fun show. Yeah. Well, this has been such a fun episode of Wide Tune Shuffle Miles. Seriously, thank you so much for your time and your energy and coming on the show and sharing your stories and your songs with us. What's your corner of the internet? How do we keep up with all the amazing work and filmmaking stuff that you're doing? Well, uh, I'm on Instagram. Great. And I have a website and uh, I'm not on Twitter. Or I was. I don't. That don't. It's fine. You don't have to find me there. <laughs> what about? Um, but what, pretty much, if you're if you're looking for me on on the internet, uh, Giant Miles is my handle. Pretty much anywhere. So G I A N T M I L E S. Um, yeah, on any of those things. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Miles. This has been a lot of fun. David Earl Waterman, aka Hollywood Secret Weapon, best co-host ever. Thank you so much Love for uh, coming live. Thank you guys. Through quarantine life. What a, what a, this has been really fun, actually, really cool. And I'm Maggie Mayfield, your host. If you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe. We're on all the platform, all the social platforms at YTunes Shuffle. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at YTunes Shuffle. <laughs>